Hey Amarillo, I'm Jason Boyette, and you're listening to Hey Amarillo, the interview podcast featuring some of the most interesting people and stories of Amarillo, Texas. I've spent the last 17 episodes chronicling the impact of the coronavirus in Amarillo, but this episode is different. It's not a return to my normal format. I'm still doing interviews over the phone instead of in person. And I really do think everything happening in our world right now can't really be separated from COVID-19. It's sickened people of color much harder than everyone else. The shutdown and the economic crisis have done even more damage to people of color. And over the past month, our nation has seen multiple stories of black people killed by white violence, culminating in the murder of George Floyd in Minneapolis at the hands of police. Across the United States and here in Amarillo, we are seeing the pain and the outrage of the black community unfold in real time. If we're going to make any steps toward progress or even understanding, empathy, you don't need to hear my voice on this podcast episode. We need to hear their voices, their real-life experiences, their opinions, even the ones that make you uncomfortable, that make me uncomfortable. And even though that's going to be the case, I hope you'll listen anyway. These are the voices of our community, and right now they need to be the loudest voices in the room. This episode is being released on June 5th, 2020. These interviews were recorded prior to that date, so things may have changed by the time you listen. My name is Bowden Jones Jr., um, and I'm a banker with uh, First Bank Southwest, the chief consumer officer. Um, With First Bank Southwest, we've been in banking about 20 years. I guess it's my 20th year, 21st year in banking. Uh, and I'm a, I'm a uh, Amarillo resident and have grown up and went to school and everything here, raised my family here and still here um, to this day. Bowden, where'd you go to high school? Tascosa. Well, I appreciate you being on the show. I, I know that the last week and, and even the last month has been um, one that has brought a lot of emotions to the forefront for people of color. And I wanted to start by asking you, if you if you can if if you don't mind to to walk me through some of those emotions what what are the things that you've been feeling oh man um jason i i've had a uh, an array of emotions um i've had uh anger um i've had sadness i've had um confusion i've had uh, a little bit of hopelessness um so I, I've kind of I've kind of been all over the place, um, all over the, the the spectrum from a, from a, from an emotional perspective, um, just depending on what 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 I am seeing or what I'm what I'm dealing with or what conversation you know I may be having at the moment. Um, but those those emotions have 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 run the, the gamut and run the spectrum and and still uh, are you know are all over the place you know to be to be quite honest. Do you feel that you know th- this moment? Does it feel different from any other moment? I know that there have been times of the death of unarmed black men. I know that there have been times uh, of explicit racism. Is is there anything about this period right now that feels different from other ones? Um, it, th- there there are, and and you know, let me let me let me preface that by saying um, the death. You know, this most recent. Um, you know, death that we've seen from Mr. Mr. George Floyd, um, that within itself is not really much different 
Jason than what what I normally you know feel or what 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 we've seen in times past from um, the multiple uh, you know uh, men and women, black men and black women that have that have lost their life you know to arm to uh, to law enforcement. Uh, whether armed or unarmed or whether they, some say they deserved it or didn't deserve it, you know, whether that was, you know, George Floyd or whether that was Ahmaud Arbery or whether that was Breonna Taylor or we could go even back uh, into the years, you know, whether that was Tamir Rice or Trayvon Martin or Alton Sterling or uh, Laquan McDonald. I mean, we could go, you know, the names, we could go down the list, Sandra Bland, um, Amadou Diallo. I mean, we could go down the list, and 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 it's not any different from that perspective. The fact that um, uh, a man or woman, uh, you know, I am a black man, but regardless of whether it was a black man or black woman, but the fact that a, a person lost their life um, to you know to to law enforcement, that is is the same. The, the or that is yeah that that is pretty much the same. The difference though I feel is is that this most recent um, uh, case with Mr. Mr. George Floyd is different because I feel like with the pandemic as 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 a people you know as a society we're dealing with the pandemic um, and many people are cooped in many people have been been locked in shut in for a long time and I feel like uh, the I feel like the media cycle also has been. Uh, centered around COVID-19 for just, it seems like for a long, long time now. And, uh, and then we have this situation that happens and that media cycle sort, sort of changes. Um, so I think that there are more people that, that, that have, that were able to see it, more people that were, for whatever reason, more, more aware. Um, and I think that that has, and the fact that how Mr. George Floyd died, how he was murdered um, in front of the whole world, begging for his life, asking to see his, you know, begging for his mom, how he died in front of the whole world, um, I think has, has hit um, a nerve that, albeit as valuable as, as their lives were, um, those that have lost their lives in the past has not hit. So I feel that it's different in that respect that um, more people are aware, more people um, feel a connection for whatever reason. And hopefully, I'm optimistic about that, that hopefully, um, more people will will step in and do what what is necessary to invoke the change. I'd like to talk about what things are necessary to bring about change in a moment. Before we get to that point, I, I wonder, and I, I want to ask this with as much sensitivity as possible. But I I wonder if, as someone who has grown up in Amarillo, who has spent time, um, you know, in in all parts of our society here and our community here, if you could talk to me about some of the things that maybe I don't understand as a white guy about what racism looks like just on a, a daily level. Um, man, that is such a complex um, question, Jason, you know, and there, and there's a lot to it. And, and I, and I'll, I'll say, uh, I don't believe in, and most people don't believe that everybody, I mean, everybody's not racist, obviously. Um, everybody's not full of, of anger and hate and, and evil. Um, however, there are a number, uh, there, there's a, there's a, there's a large number of folks that, that are, um, and as a black man growing up, um, I, I went through the public schools and, and I, I actually went to Tascosa. I actually graduated Paladur. I said I went to Tascosa, but I graduated Paladur, um, and, and, and grew up in, in the neighborhood and, 
I I know that there were, were situations. I can't think of one right off the top of my head of, of a situation that I dealt with as a as a young man or as a as a child. Although I know that that there were some, if I think long enough. But um, I could tell you of situations even you know recent of of, of growing up. You know, being a black man um, and being treated differently. Um, I remember a time in 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 Amarillo that my wife and I. Um, were at a store. I won't say the store's name, but we were at a a clothing store, and we were just shopping like we normally do, and we just could not seem to um, shake the person uh, that was trying to, you know, you know, you know. They ask you the questions, can we help you or whatever, which is fine. Um, but you can you can just tell, you know, as, as a as a black person, you know when you're being followed, you know when you being when you're being watched. Um, and that was a situation that we kind of lost. We lost some cool there and, and really, you know, kind of had some frustration. So we've had to deal with that. Um, I've had to deal with, with, with situations of, of being, um, of having a perception of, of being something that, that I'm not. Um, and, and that's something that even, even in my profession now, even in my life and my current state now that, you know, that's something that I still, you know, have to deal with as, um, a black man, as, as a black man, um, there's something that, you know, from a, from a racism perspective, um, you know, people don't like to talk about privilege and you know, don't like to talk about white privilege, but there are certain things that, um, that I, certain privileges that I'm not necessarily afforded, uh, that maybe, maybe my white counterpart is, and that doesn't necessarily always have to be something tangible per se, um, but it could simply be, um, based on perception. There are things, Jason, systemically, um, from a racism perspective that are baked, I believe, baked into um, the fabric of our nation um, that contribute to racism and to uh, racist policies and racist um, procedures that, that play out that affect, you know, black and brown people um, much more detrimentally than, than, than others. And, and in many cases, um, my counterparts would not even think about it. I'll tell you, even even something as simple as um, being pulled over by the police is, is, is something that, uh, as a black man, I have to, I have to contend with or, or be prepared for, uh, not knowing what I'm going to get on the other side. I have, I have tremendous amount of respect for law enforcement. Um, um, but I also know that depending on the day, depending on the time, um, it, 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 it depends on what person I'm getting on law enforcement, because unfortunately there are, um, evil and racist people, and and I have to be prepared on what my response is going to be in that time, um, in order to make sure that um, that I can maintain uh, my safety and get home safe. That's just something that I have to teach my children. That's something that I have to teach my son, um, who is who is a young, uh, handsome, scrappy, intelligent, well mannered uh, young man. But unfortunately, um, his skin color. Um, sometimes lends to, to a perception of something about him that may not be true. And so I have to teach him things that I suspect um, my white counterparts don't necessarily have to tell their, their young, their young boys. And so um, growing up, those are, those are, you know, some things, and there's, there's a number of things that we're constantly and consistently um, sharing with our, you know, with our children and just we, the things that we've learned from our parents um, growing up, that things that we need to do to make sure that, um, you know, I like, and for an example, uh, I tell my son all the time, don't, if you go into a store, make sure you take your, your hoodie off your head. Um, and I tell him that because I know if he goes into a store, 
um, or to an established with his hoodie on his head that he's going to be perceived as something that he's not. Um, and so it's, 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 it's in an effort to make sure that he is safe and that he is, that, that he can kind of get in and out without incident. So there's, so there's, you know, there's a lot of things that I could go on and on and on about, you know, the complexity of racism and things that, you know, you know, that we had, you know, as a black man that we've had, that we've had to deal with, that I had to deal with, um, or even still deal with on, on, on a daily basis. What kind of psychological toll does that take to always be in that heightened state of awareness or always on alert trying to to not do the wrong thing or not do the thing that, that might be wrongly expected of you? I mean, how do you deal with that on a daily basis? You know, psychologically, it is, it's interesting because I, I, I know that it takes a toll, but um, now that you ask the question, I, I, I feel like it probably is something that we probably have gotten used to it to a degree, if that makes sense. Um, and don't even realize perhaps that, that I, I, may, I may not even realize that I'm doing it. It's just a part of um, what we do to try to try to survive. So it, it, I, I'm sure that it takes a toll. And I, I was I was talking to some friends uh, today uh, about just kind of, you know, when you think about the psyche as, as a black man, um, when you think about, you know, this this thing that we're dealing with today, when we think about racism and we think about um, bigotry and we think about all the things that we're dealing with and the things that, that I believe were a result of Mr. Floyd's death. Um, these are things that have been happening since my ancestors um, um, came or were brought to this land in 1619 um, when the first enslaved person was brought to America. These things have been happening. So that's been over 400 years. When you think about um, slavery and you think about the darkest days, which I believe those are the darkest days in America's history that yet um, America has not reconciled. Um, and I think that that is part of the reason that we are dealing with some of the things today that we have not yet reconciled. Even though we, we say that we are uh, the home of the brave and we are the land of the free, we have not yet can, yet reconciled for the darkest day um, in our in our history. And so when you think about those days and you think about even once slavery was abolished and you think about uh, Jim Crow, you think about the civil rights movement, you think about um, you know, the, 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 the disparities in, in the justice system. You think about all of those different things, uh, that, that, that unilaterally, um, um, affect black men, uh, at a greater proportion than anybody else. Uh, you would, you, you have to think that the psyche, uh, and the psychological state of a black man is, 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 is it has to be fragile. But, uh, what is so great is, is that I know a number of black men, many black men, black folks as a, as a, as a race, um, are resilient um, and have been able and continue to to accomplish monumental things um, in spite of uh, what would you know otherwise um, you know dealing with, with with what would otherwise contribute to a um, a fragile you know psyche or fra- fragile psychological state. It's something that I'm sure that we probably deal with that we just don't even realize we do, uh, but it is also something perhaps that um, has become a sort of a superpower that we just learn and figure it out and continue to move forward. Hmm. You know, you, you mentioned the, the need for reconciliation. You mentioned the change that you hope happens one day. I, I wondered if you had any ideas of, of how our city as a whole together can take steps in that direction. I mean, I, I, I see a lot of black squares on Instagram and I've seen, you know, people maybe acknowledging this moment when they hadn't several years ago with all the different names you mentioned. 
Um, but the solutions, you know, to these problems are not found in, in signs or, or Instagram posts. So I, I wonder what actions can we take to, to bridge our communities, to draw our community closer together? Yeah. Yeah, no, I agree. I think that we don't solve problems with those posts and social media. However, I think social media has been um, and can be the catalyst that um, creates the dialogue. I think I think it is really more about the communication. It's really more about the dialogue um, to be able to walk in another person's shoes, regardless of, 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 of what they look like or regardless of where they come from. If you can um, have a conversation and you can have um, communication to understand why a person feels the way that they feel or why they don't feel um, the way that they feel. In most cases, you're going to be able to come to some sort of common ground. Um, and the truth of the matter is, is that as a human race, we are all much more alike than we are different. Um, the thing is, is that there have been these classes and these these barriers, these divides that have been um, created to, uh, in a sense, create a, a source of power and, and authority um, that have just, you know, frankly, have been an advantage for other for some more than more than others. But I think that to 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 invoke the change, I think that the dialogue has to happen. I think what that's the first step is to be be able to have a dialogue. And in some cases, in many cases, if you are not the one that that is experiencing uh, racism, experiencing these these horrific. Um, things or having to deal with these 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 horrific you know I, I hear people say all the time well I just I've never experienced that I've never seen that I don't know what you're talking about um, so when I talk about dialogue the dialogue really should be more of a listening to understand not so much a listening to try to respond um, or to defend but more so just listening to be able to try and understand why a person may feel the way that they feel. And I think that once those things begin to happen, and I think that that is starting to happen to a degree because um, with, with, with Mr. Floyd um, uh, being, being murdered, um, I think it was done in such a way that was seen, that has been seen, you know, you know, all over the place. And it was done in such an egregious way that, that most people, regardless of, 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 of their background, most people are able to, relate and and understand and know that 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 is a human being and there is no possible way um that in 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 the greatest country in the in the world um that that should happen and i think that that's one of the things jason that's beginning to spark um the dialogue the dialogue and the communication is going to be the thing that's going to help bring about um bring about some of that change bowden jones thank you so much for being on the podcast i appreciate it absolutely thank you so much for having me my name is Jasmine Taylor. I own a small business here called Oh My For Lash Co. I just got it up and started. Um, I have a master's in education, and I am doing my best to do what I can for my community. Jasmine, thank you so much for being on the podcast. I really do appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Sure. So I wanted to use this episode to hear from Amarillo's African-American community just because I, I know that the experiences and the emotions and the things that you're feeling now are not necessarily things that I understand or that I can relate to. And so I would like to hear from you as someone who lives here, as, as a small business owner here, just what you're feeling right now. Can you tell me what the past week or the past month even uh, has has caused you to to experience? 
Um, I can tell you that for a really long time, it's almost felt hopeless to be black, you know, with the viewing of all the people being murdered um, by law enforcement and, you know, seeing that they never got any justice. It's almost really felt hopeless. Like, you know, no one cares about us and what happened. Our lives don't matter to people. And so in the past few weeks, I've really felt inspired, you know, seeing people stand up for us and just seeing us stand up and finally fight for us and make a difference and call for change. It's really inspiring. So I have to say that I felt inspired. You you get so disheartened when you see those videos of that happening to black men and women. And it, it almost breaks your heart. And I'm pretty sure that there isn't a black person in Amarillo who hasn't shed a tear behind watching that video. It's like, you know, it's heartbreaking. But to see that we are fighting for change and hopefully we will get change this time around, it's definitely inspiring. Could you tell me what the Black Lives Matter movement means to you? I mean, when, when you see that phrase um, or if if you hear someone saying that, how do you receive that? What does that mean? When I hear Black Lives Matter, I I always think of Luke 15, when Jesus had the hundred sheep and one of his sheep went missing and Jesus left his 99 sheep to go after the one. So, you know, I think a lot of white Americans hear Black Lives Matter and assume that we're saying that white lives don't. But I think that they have to consider that in that parable, they're the 99 and we're the one. So we're the sheep that's in danger. So whenever I hear Black Lives Matter, I just hear us fighting for a voice. We we just want to be equal. That's it. And so that that's what I think when I hear Black Lives Matter. You talked about the hopelessness that you felt and that you felt for a long time. You know, for those of us who have not experienced racism, who who have not experienced that kind of hopelessness, could could you kind of share maybe where that has come from? Are are there any events that that have caused that for you personally? Is is that just a, a general sense that you have? What's what's kind of the source of that? I haven't experienced as much racism as I have discrimination in my life. And I really think that discrimination is a huge branch off of the racism tree and it can be soul crushing for a black person. You know, just imagine being a black woman and you're trying to make a career in a whitewashed corporate America. It's exhausting. It's literally sitting with yourself the night before job interviews and pondering on whether or not I should straighten my hair so I don't look so ethnic because it'll stop me from getting the job. It's getting a job in healthcare and having to sit and listen to the little remarks that the doctors make about minorities being drug seekers. You know, it's, it's, there's so much. It's the sadness that's in our education system that doesn't employ enough minority educators, which in turn leaves the children from the low-income um, home that leaves them neglected because if they come to school and they're not motivated today and you have no idea what it's like to be anything other than privileged, you never think, okay, well, maybe they didn't eat last night. Maybe their lights are off, which is in turn causing them to behave the way they are. You know, it's it's the struggle of being in your childbearing years and knowing that pregnancy-related deaths are three to four times higher for black women than white women. You know, it's, <laughs> it's being taught from a very young age to fear law enforcement, don't make sudden moves, be respectful, and know that they'll kill you if they feel justified to do so. You know, being black is hard. It's, it's not just, the, you know, being called the N-word by an older person. You know, it's someone getting upset with you when you work in customer service and all of a sudden now you're boy. Or it's, you know, having the coworkers who make the ooh, she's ghetto jokes. And you can't retaliate. You can't say anything because if it comes down to it and there's confrontation, nine times out of ten, you're going to be the one to lose your job. 
And it's it's really hard being black in America. And it's not just the being called the N-word. And it's as tragic as it is, it's not just being slaughtered by law enforcement. It's every day. Every day it's a struggle being black. And I don't think people really understand what it is. So I think another point in the Black Lives Matter movement is to make people understand that it's, it's a struggle every day. It's always a fight. It's being the better employee, working hard, being on time every day, but always knowing that you'll come second to your white counterpart when it's time for a promotion. It's truly a struggle. I'd like to hear from you if if you don't mind sharing. And I, I really appreciate the perspective that you provide. Let's say for your coworkers or for your colleagues who are white and and hearing you say that and knowing some of the things maybe that, that you face that are just blind spots that, you know, the white community uh, is just not going to realize what can people do to maybe help with that? Are, are there any actions we can take to to bridge the divide between our communities? Are there any actions we can take to just make it easier personally for someone like you? Um, I think that it's a personal choice that you have to make every day. Um, if you're a white person, and I know plenty, you know, who just aren't black people every day, make an effort to make a black friend from a different socioeconomic background than you. You know, it's not a lot of people only know about black people, what they see on TV or what they hear from their relatives or what they're exposed to via social media. They they don't really have any black friends. I think if people really made an effort to make black friends or just acquaintances, genuinely get to know them, learn about what makes them who they are. You know, you'd really be surprised how little we know about each other, you know, and it's going to be there's a lot of conversations that need to be had you know, uncomfortable conversations, have those uncomfortable conversations, ask the questions, you know, remove the people in your life that refuse to change and do better, educate yourself, be willing to accept that, you know, sometimes the views that you are raised with, they're not always true, you know, challenge your racist friends and family's prejudice and anti-black remarks, call them out on that, you know, and this will be an uncomfortable time for a lot of people, it'll be tough, you know, it'll take courage, but consider though, that being black you're pretty much taught your whole life to make sure that white people are comfortable. You know, we make ourselves small in order to ensure that you guys feel safe. We speak with less aggression. We watch how we walk, how we talk. We're very cautious of what we wear, you know, and maybe it's time for white America to be uncomfortable so the change can come. I think that's hard for a lot of people to hear. And I, I really appreciate you saying that, uh, that because it, it should make us uncomfortable. The The last thing I'd like to ask you is, is there anything about this moment that that gives you any hope, that, that makes you maybe encouraged that this time is different from before? I don't know that I've taken a full breath since this has happened again, since we've seen another black man slaughtered, but I definitely am more hopeful this time that he will indeed get justice, and hopefully that will trickle over and more people will be held accountable for their actions and over-policing. Um, it's really just in this moment because so many people are collectively on the, we're on the same note. I'm encouraged. I'm encouraged because celebrities are speaking out and corporations who we've never had speak out on our behalf are, are making a statement for us. And I think if everyone can get on the same accord, it's not something that'll happen overnight, but we can definitely start making the changes. I think that everyone kind of feels that empowerment and that encouragement in this moment that this may be the one. So I'm definitely encouraged. I'm hopeful. And I hope the right thing happens um, for George Floyd and him getting, you know, the justice he deserves. But I really feel like we're in a better place this time around. And hopefully things will start to turn in the right direction. You know, the system isn't really built 
for anyone other than white people. You know, a lot of people say that, oh, the system is broken. And I feel like it's not broken. You know, it's working the way it was intended to protect the white man. And so I think that at the end of the day, we're going to need some type of overhaul for the system and the criminal justice system. Um, But in this moment right now, I think people protesting and coming together and fighting for change, I really am encouraged and inspired by that. Jasmine Taylor, thank you so much for being on the podcast. I really do appreciate it. Thank you for having me. I'm Joseph Peterson. I'm a financial advisor with Edward Jones here in Amarillo, Texas. Hi, Joseph. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. Um, So the last week has been an emotionally intense time uh, for a lot of people of color, and I just wanted to hear from you and and ask how you're feeling at at the moment. I mean, what, what have the last few days been like for you? There's been a whirlwind of emotions, but I think my conclusion or the the, the feeling that is most uh, prevalent is um, appreciation for the fact that a conversation, a serious conversation is being had. So, you know, we've had um, things that have happened in the past that have um, not necessarily led to the conversation um, that we're having right now. I guess in in the past, things have happened where the intent of actions were misconstrued, and and we we didn't come to a point where you know a conversation was being had amongst everyone. Uh, maybe pockets of people were having conversations before, but I feel like at this point in time, um, when I look at my timeline on social media, it, it, it's everyone having a conversation, uh, and, I, and I like that. I know that that you and your wife just had um, just had a new baby boy a couple of weeks ago, and I, I wonder, you know, viewing it from that perspective as a father, what the Black Lives Matter movement kind of means from that standpoint. I mean, how do you think of it as a new dad? Yeah, you know, probably my first answer was trying to find the good out of the situation because that's who I am. That's what I do. I try to find the good out of everything. But when, when I look deep down into the emotions of, of what I feel and what I think, you know, there's definitely a level of frustration. Um, uh, there's definitely a level, level of anger, um, fear, doubt. Um, so when I think about, you know, the fact that my son was just born and that he'll have to, um, worry about things that, uh, you know, his, his white counterparts don't have to worry about. It, it doesn't make me happy. Um, that's what I experienced growing up myself. I, you know, I had to think a little bit different, act a little bit differently. Um, and, and, you know, for me, it was just, it all came with the territory. Um, it wasn't fair, but I understood, you know, it is what it is. <clears throat> so now being a father and having to explain that to my son, uh, you know, <laughs> similar situation that, that that is how it is and that's how he will have to um adjust and, and act accordingly um but there is a sense of frustration that it, it it even however many generations later we still have the same um problem joseph could you share a little more about you know how you learned to um like like you say to act accordingly to deal with 
with some of the prejudice that just might have been part of, of your life and that you learned to live with, but but maybe which somebody like me does not understand. Could you unpack that a little bit? Yeah, I think um, in general, I'm probably a fun, loving, nice guy, um, but yeah, I, I have to tame my emotions um, in, in situations to not seem like an angry black guy or um, an aggressive black guy. <clears throat> so you know, I don't have a, a, a specific um, situation that comes to mind, but I just know that I would never let my full emotions come out in a public setting for fear of being labeled as an angry black guy. Okay. Um, so even even when I think about posts that I've made on social media in in the past week, um, they've been carefully thought out, um, and and I tried to pull off the the filter a, a little bit and, and be more vulnerable um, to to show true uh, emotions to say my my true thoughts, um, but I think they're still calculated and they're still tamed um, from from what's actually going on in my in my mind and in my heart. So a few years ago, I had a client that uh, I inherited, and um, when I initially talked to her, she was cordial. She was um, pleasant, actually, and later her tone changed, and she was just very straightforward and um, short in, in later conversations. Well, it turns out that once she found out that I was black, she um, her, that's when her demeanor changed. And she didn't want me to be her advisor. So she talked to my assistant at the time and told her that she wanted her account to be transferred to another advisor here locally that uh, was not black. <clears throat> so my assistant told me, and then I proceeded to call my home office and let them know about the situation. But uh, that just goes back to the point of, you know, it all starts at home. You know, she wasn't taught that, or she did, she wasn't born with that sense of racism inside her. And she was taught that um, through experiences or, or, or just growing up. Um, so just the simple fact that, you know, she didn't want me to be her advisor just because I was black um, shows you that, you know, there's still racism out there. And the thing that um, is, is shocking to me, you know, is she hid it. So when I would talk to her, she didn't mention anything to me um, about not wanting me to be her advisor. She would just say, I don't have anything to talk about, or she'd be really short. Um, but when she actually had a conversation with my assistant, that's when the true feelings and emotions came out. She said, hey, I don't want him to be my advisor because he's black. <clears throat> Can you move my account to another office? So what I did is I called, or I sent the email actually to all the offices in town, apprised uh, them the situation and said, hey, if anyone wants to take her, feel free. And of course, uh, thankfully, uh, you know, they stood beside me and said, no, we don't want that account. She shouldn't be a Jones client at all. And that's what our home office said as well. Is, um, you know, we can't necessarily um, fire her from being a, a Jones client, um, but we're not going to assist her into moving to a, another advisor just because she doesn't want to be with you because you're black. I know that you mentioned that your social media timeline, you'd seen a lot more support this time around um, than maybe 
had been seen in the past with with the Black Lives Matter movements. Um, you know, I I know that there's that there's some meaning to activism on social media, but but there's even greater meaning to actual actions that people take. And I, I wonder if you have some ideas. You know, what what are some things that we can do? And by we, I I mean the white citizens of Amarillo, because that's I mean that's who I am. I mean, what can we do to help bridge the divide with the black members of our community and, and to build some understanding there? Um, I like what I've seen from, um, the, the community, um, standing and supporting peaceful protests. Um, so of course nobody wants to see rioting or looting, uh, but peaceful, peaceful protesting has, uh, gained support. And, and there have been, you know, white individuals that have that have gone and, and participated as well, and that that shows um, the solidarity. And there's there's a page that's now created. Silence um, is not solidarity, and and just the simple fact that people have reached out to me, whether it be through email, text message, phone call, and and, and not just been silent, um, has has been uh, encouraging to me. Um, so I think that's that's one action item is, you know, not being silent, because when other people are seeing it, when other people are hearing it, that's creating conversation that's putting it on people's minds. And that's not just sweeping it under the rug, because I think that's might that might be what ha- has happened in the past is something happens and people put their blinders on. They sweep it under the rug and don't don't want to see it, don't want to think about it. Well, it's out in front right now. Everybody's thinking about it. Everybody's talking about it. And and from there, the action is, I don't know the specific um, thing, but I think from there, the conversation leads to, um, you know, a, a actual change. Okay. Is, is there anything that's giving you hope about this moment? I mean, do you, do you feel any reason to be encouraged about that conversation? Uh, the simple fact that it's happening, like I said, it wasn't happening to the extent that it's happening right now. It wasn't happening that way before. Um, and, and, and again, like you said, you know, there's one thing for it to be conversation, um, but it, it, it all starts with the conversation. So I don't think we can get to the next step without having the conversation first, because I don't, I don't think there's one person that knows what the next step is and what the solution is but if we collectively have a conversation to figure out what the next step is that's when we'll get there because if we if, if one person had the answer um I, I think we would have already been there before so if we can come up with the answer together then that's when that's how we'll get there now in my opinion <clears throat> because it's it's not an easy fix racism is not inherently inside of us it's it's taught and if we can teach it out of our children, then the next generation should not have the same problems that the previous generations had. So, you know, I, I'm not giving you a specific answer in terms of, you know, what do we do? What's next outside of having the conversations um, with each other and having the conversations with our children um, to create awareness. Joseph, thank you for your insight. Thank you for being on the podcast. Thank you. I appreciate the opportunity to just talk through it a little bit. You know, again, I don't think there's one person that has all the answers, but if we continue to 
have a conversation. We'll get where we need to go. Hi, my name is Leah Warren. I work for Mission 2540, and it's a nonprofit here in Amarillo. Leah, thank you so much for being on the podcast. I, I really do appreciate it. I know that this this last week, even the last month, has been emotionally intense for people of color. And I wondered if we could start by you just kind of telling me what those emotions have felt like for you. What are the things that, that you've been thinking about in the last few days? Um, it's actually been really hard. You know, I know here in Amarillo, um, nothing like what we've seen, you know, on the news and everything is actually hit here. But knowing that those things could possibly happen here, you know, it's pretty scary. Um, it's a mix of emotion. It's it's anger. It's being terrified of, you know, what could happen and what could possibly happen, you know, with my husband or just years down the road to me or my kids. I have a little boy now. He just turned one. So it's it's a lot of anger and I try to um, maybe make that a little more, not so much anger, but more of just turning it into something else, you know, trying to pray for everything instead of, you know, I feel like if it's if with anger comes sometimes um, lashing out in the wrong way, you know, yeah. um, and that's definitely what I'm trying not to do. When you think, I, I know you're, you're a young mom, you've got young kids, um, you know, you, you mentioned thinking of it in, in terms of, you know, your, your one-year-old, what are some of the anxieties or the worries that, that you think about when, when you look at it from that perspective? Um, I would say definitely, um, I'm concerned so many things. Um, mostly just making sure we raise him, you know, properly. I mean, it's sad to kind of have that conversation. Hey, in the future, if this ever happens, you know, being stopped by a police, definitely don't, I mean, and it's more than just the whole police thing, you know, but I know that's a big part of it, you know, um, what's happening a lot lately. But um, I feel like making sure he knows proper ways of being safe, um, just uh, just making sure we definitely raise him properly as far as what to do in certain situations. And um, it worries me that maybe I just I hope we never have to experience anything um, real in those situations and like what's happening. And I know, like I said, it's beyond, you know, the whole police thing. It's even being out in public and maybe being stared at a certain way or just comments, you know, um, which has happened, you know, before we haven't had any of like the, the bad side of things, but we've definitely experienced some of it, you know, just little parts of it. Um, I, I want to be sensitive about digging into the ways that you've experienced racism but I, I also want to let listeners understand what that might look like. And, and so when you, when you talk about some of the small ways that, that maybe you've been looked at or that maybe you've, you've felt um, threatened in some way, I mean, c- can you give me an example of what that might be? Yes. The one thing I've um, experienced, or me and my husband definitely, uh, more than one time is just going somewhere and being out in public and being followed around a store. It's actually happened to us before quite a bit, um, whether it's something like a toot and totem or um, I believe one time we were in a Bells and a lady followed us around the store the whole time. Um, sometimes going in places, you know, even when we mean no harm, um, my husband can have his hands in his pocket or something. I automatically be like, hey, let's like don't do that you know don't you you look suspicious i feel like we're already being looked at a certain way so 
and that's just him. He he will carry his hands just in his pocket, just like that, you know. Um, the same with my daughters. If we go somewhere and she will have on a hoodie and she has her hands in her hoodie, but I automatically tell her, and I feel like I shouldn't necessarily have to, but hey, you look suspicious and we're already being looked at, you know. Um, but mostly that, uh, we've had a few times some comments, um, nothing, uh, more of just being accused of something. Uh, my husband, he works at Toon Totem, and he mentions all the time that he gets you know comments just from certain customers or either he's treated a certain way um with working and everything they don't he feels like you know a lot of times whether it's being respected or if he's just speaking to someone hi hello and no one wants to speak back to him or he'll say something and um they want to speak to a manager and the manager will literally say the same thing you know whatever the problem was but they won't believe what's coming out of his mouth you know um I, you know, that could be with the color thing, you know, and um, they want to speak to someone else that's in charge and then they will literally say the same thing and then the problem is solved. But the same thing coming out of my husband's mouth is it means nothing, you know. Leah, I know that that through your work, you work with a number of different groups around the city, whether it's it's donors to Mission 2540 or underprivileged children. You work with a variety of different races. Mm-hmm. I, I wonder from that perspective um, and, and seeing the ways that maybe Amarillo is segregated. Yes, we have not had the violent protests here, but, but we do have some of that type of racism. Do, do you know of any ways that our community could work together to improve things? I definitely say just giving people a chance. I mean, it goes both ways, you know, and I know the racism stuff is mostly like a, a black or white to black, you know, thing. Um, I say definitely just the judging, you know, a lot of times we are treated a certain way or things are said to us. And that person literally doesn't know us, you know, never met us said, you know, they don't know us personally, but yeah, we can be stared at. It's all just, you know, the color of our skin. We could, like I said, enter somewhere, um, and be treated a certain way. And that person doesn't know us, you know? So I feel like definitely if you, I wonder myself, you know, like where the hate comes from exactly, you know, it's all about, you know, loving your neighbor and stuff. And just, uh, I think judgment takes a big part in it. You know, I feel like maybe if we could hear from some other, other people and just kind of wonder exactly what it is, you know, why is it that it's just the hate? One thing I've thought in a, a conversation that I've had is, you know, this time, feels a little bit different, at least in terms of how many people are acknowledging, you know, the need for protest. I mean, Mm -hmm. this week you've seen a lot of black squares on Instagram and Facebook and, and people trying to express solidarity, you know, in, in a very limited way, just using social media. I, I wonder from your perspective, if that is helpful you know, from, from white citizens, from your friends, if, if that's a good first step and and maybe there are some other steps to take beyond that. Yeah, I definitely think it is. Um, we of course love to see the support, you know, we love to see that other people care and we know it's not all how a lot of people will say it's not, it's not all white people or, you know, um, not everybody feels that way. Um, for example, the church I go to, I go, I attend Messiah's house, you know, um, and I definitely feel loved when I'm there. I feel like on Facebook, when I see my church family and just other friends sharing, you know, the black square and then just other stuff, you know, that feels good to see that, you know, that someone's on our side, that someone cares. It's definitely a start. I feel like 
um, one thing people can continuously to do is just to speak up, you know, speak up for us and speak out. That definitely helps a lot. And maybe, I mean, it'll take a long time, I feel like, because it's already been years of this. But I feel like maybe it'll eventually maybe come through to some other people. Um, I still wonder why, like I said, why just sometimes how people can lash out or feel a certain way when we've never, they've never even met us, you know? It's yeah. all literally, I think, just the seeing our color of our skin and maybe assuming we're all bad or we're all, you know, I hear a lot of when it comes to a black male that he's a thug or something. And that's not the case all the time. People can look a certain way and literally be the opposite of what you think. And then that's just judged based off of skin color. But I feel as far as people, you know, speaking out and supporting that helps a lot. I definitely love seeing it. I mean, and as long as you, you know, support and continue, don't just do one thing on social media because you want it to be seen, but continue, you know, um, protest with us and stuff. I personally haven't been out to the protest. You know, I see it. I do try to keep myself at distance as far as, you know, I have kids as well, but you know, as far as social media, I do stuff on there, but I haven't attended an actual protest myself. I did see some of the pictures, um, recently of what was going on and it, it's just heartbreaking. I mean, I'm glad it was peaceful, but, um, seeing some of the pictures where things got, or could have gotten really violent was scary definitely seeing you know that there were other people out there with us you know um you know linked arms with us while we were doing that you know was definitely great to see that the last thing i wanted to ask leah is if there's anything about this moment that that gives you any feeling of encouragement about the future is is there something about this period of protests that feels different from from protests in the past you know, sadly, um, I don't know. I don't honestly feel like it only because it's been happening for years, you know, the protest. And it's like every year, um, the fact that it still happens. And I know it's not ever going to maybe change to, you know, where everybody is feels equal. Um, but honestly, I don't, I don't feel like it's changing a little bit over the years, I think, but it's, it's, it's just sad to see that it still happens, you know, that we still have to do it, you know? So sadly, no, at this moment, I don't feel like there's any, any change. I'm hoping, you know, it's, it's 2020 though, you know, and the fact that people still have to do it is, it's heartbreaking. It's, it's, it's a lot. Leah Warren, thank you so much for being on the podcast. I appreciate it. Yes, sir. Thank you for having me. Uh, my name is David McCoy Lovejoy. I am uh, the program director at KDNC uh, AM in Amarillo, Texas, uh, Alpha Media Amarillo Station. Uh, I am also the first vice president of the Amarillo Branch NAACP, born and raised right here in Amarillo, Texas. Served in the U.S. Army as a ranger. Came back and made my home here in Amarillo, Texas. Raised my family and uh, continue to live here. Will probably be here until I die. And uh, David, our our uh, community is grateful to have you. Of course, you're you're such a fixture in the local media community, and I, I appreciate you being on the show. I know this has been, you know, a um, a very painful week for a lot of African Americans, um, not just in Amarillo but uh, across the United States. And I I would like to just kind of hear from you what you're thinking about and, and how you're feeling at this moment. About three or four weeks ago, when the video uh, surfaced of the young man being ambushed in Georgia as he jogged down the street and was shot and killed, 
uh, one of my coworkers here, we have sons about the same age, and 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 I in a heartfelt discussion with him, I said I was really disappointed. I was sad and I was upset, and I wasn't sad or upset at the young man getting shot. Don't get me wrong; it was that was wrong and emotionally uh, rough, but. I was mad and upset with myself because I, I swore as a young man that hopefully I would take steps and we would all take steps as a nation, as a society, as a world, uh, to, to not have him grow up in the world that I grew up in when it came to racial divisiveness and and, and the whole nine yards of society. Now, by all means, was it, it worse than my dad's time? No. Or my grandfather's time? No. But I still wanted, had this Pollyanna view that we would all be uh, living in harmony and sharing and loving and caring. And then we have incidents that come along in the last month uh, that we've seen where African-American men have died, uh, in most cases unarmed. Uh, and, and, and really, as we see in George Floyd, obeying the law. And this man lost his life for the potential threat of a forged $20 bill. That's what he died for. That's what they stopped him for. And if you think back two weeks ago, uh, when armed citizens went on several steps of Capitol buildings across our country, and they went home. And, and so it, you just wonder, is, is it my skin that makes me such a, a threat? Is it my skin color? Uh, is it my tone? I've been told, told sometimes because... I'm not afraid to speak up and I'm not afraid to raise my voice that I'm trying to intimidate. And I wonder, is that because of my color, my skin, or is it because I, I truly am trying to intimidate people? It's a, it's a tough line as a African American in America, we have to walk. Uh, and, and, and it just, just saddens me the, the days, uh, the events, the past events that are happening, uh, the rioting that's going on. Uh, don't get me wrong, there have been some peaceful marches, and marches are meaningful. But when they de-evolve into riots, into protest, into demonstration, uh, it, it, it saddens me because it cheapens the name of uh, George Floyd. Uh, I, trust me, he wouldn't want people burning and ransacking cities in his name. He, doesn't want to, he wouldn't want to be honored that way. No person wants to be remembered like that. But as, as we watch the television and we see young people taken to the street, I understand and I feel the hurt. I, I see their pain. I've been in those positions. I, I just want to send a message mainly to those young kids. Uh, we've gotten asked several times as being a member of the NAACP, uh, why aren't we springing an action? How come we aren't going to protest? Uh, the problem is, is, is sometimes the raw emotion of event and doing an activity, getting out there, marching, doing that sort of thing uh, may make you feel better. But does it come to a solution? I, I see the NAAC marches for one reason, and that's to get to a negotiating table at the end of that march. Uh, not just to make myself feel good today, uh, not just to make the news, but we have to find solutions and ways to work towards those solutions. Yeah, I, I definitely want to talk about solutions, but before we get to that, David, I, you know, I, I find my tendency when I hear about some of the pain, you know, that, that people like you experience, I, I want to say I understand um, as a way of showing empathy, but I, you know, the truth is I really don't understand because I'm a white guy. And I, right. I wonder if you could, could maybe 
share with me, like, what are some of the blind spots? What are the things that I don't get, that I don't experience, that I don't see, um, that, that kind of paints the difference between somebody like you and somebody like me? It, it, it's, it, it's growing up in a society all the time where you know at any time all eyes are on you. Uh, I go back to my childhood. I, I've lived in Amarillo all my life. I've lived a suburban middle-class life. Uh, my mom, uh, my father, uh, older brother and older sister. And there was a time I lived in North Amarillo, two uh, blocks from Travis Junior High. And at that time, we were the only African-American family on the block in the 70s. I was basically born in that house and, and raised till about sixth grade. But there was a home on that block. There was... Uh, my family and two Hispanic families that lived on that street in the 70s, 70, you know, as a kid, it was a 76, 77, 78, and we, I think we moved 79, 80. But uh, there were two Hispanic families and one African-American family. There was a family there that the father was a highway patrolman, and they had kids our age. We used to play football and, you know, run up and down each other's house. But it never failed when me and the Hispanic kid, Patrick, went down to that house. It was an odd thing because if the father was there, it was okay. But if me and Patrick were there and that patrol car was gone, the mother would come out the door every time if we were there for two minutes or 30 minutes. And she noticed we were there. She would come out the door and say, you two can't play here. And and it would make me mad and would make me angry. But, but over time, I thought about it. And, and, and that could have turned me right there very bitter toward law enforcement, that this, this is what they think of as it. But, but I, that was one person, one family. And, and I didn't want to paint the whole group because that's how I was raised. Don't paint everybody by the deeds of one person. I, I sometimes laugh because I, when I sit, would sit down with people and talk about why do you have an issue with black people? Why do you hate black people? Why do you hate Hispanics? And I, I got this story a lot. Well, when I was a kid, a group of black guys jumped me. Okay, I understand that, but is that a reason to hate a whole race of people consistently and forever? Uh, I can remember walking home from Whittier Elementary at fourth or fifth grade, and, and I was walking home later than normal. I think I had an after-school project. So the, the, the high school kids were already out, the middle school kids were already out, and some white guys in a, in a car came by and saw me walking by myself, and they started calling the N-word and talking and turned around, and I ran until my lungs burst to get home. But I didn't go next door to my neighbor who I've known since we were both uh, coming out of the cradle, Davey uh, Barton, and say, I hate you because these white guys did this and knock him out. We have things and issues. I can walk around my home in South Amarillo. Uh, another story later on in high school, let me relay this one. We would help our football coach at Emerald High, who was the head track coach during track season, set up the equipment. And so we came home because I had to change clothes to go to this track meeting. It's probably about six or seven African-Americans uh, piled into one car. We'd go to my house so I could change real quick. Uh, I'd forgotten my key. And so I went through the fence back gate and let myself in through the back door. This is the 80s, 81, 82. So you left your back door unlocked. You did that sort of silly stuff. Uh, when we, when I came out of the door to get ready to go, my front yard was full of Amarillo police officers. Uh, someone had saw me get out of the truck and go to the back door. Uh, and then all my friends came in the front door and they called the police. And this could have happened. This could have went horribly bad. But I had a neighbor uh, across the street. And this was in South Amarillo. 
named Dave Regal. And his mother and his father, Dave, we, we, you know, from eighth grade on, best friends, big time with each other, like little brother and big brother. Uh, his mother, Mary Fern, came out the door. And she, Mary Fern was probably about four foot five and red hair. And boy, she was a spitball. And she came out of that front door and she blasted those officers. She said, he lives there. Leave those children alone. Leave them alone right now. And, and that saved her. Because in today's world, who knows what have happened? If that happened today, if that story happens today, I'm probably handcuffed in the, in the street and so are my friends and, and being drug off to jail. Uh, but, but someone of a different color stepped up for us. And, and that makes a world of difference. As, as I grew up now and I live in South Amarillo, my son, uh, seventh or eighth or ninth grader, him and his little buddy, who happened to be white, are walking down the street and somebody claims they kicked over something and were vandalizing and destroying it. Well, I'm looking out my front window, six o'clock in the evening, and a police car pulls up. And I walk outside and I say, What's the problem? They say, Well, your son, they accuse him of the vandalism. Da, da, da. And I told my son, Go in the house. I said, You go charge me. He said, No, go in the house. And I said, Who is with my son? And the officer said, Well, there's this other kid. And I said, Well, did you take him home in the cop car? No. <laughs> okay, sir, you can go now. Miss mm-hmm. Love, no, no, you can go now. And, and so I had to go in at that age, and, and people don't understand that, and people of color will understand this. Uh, at a certain age, you have to sit down, especially boys, and have the talk. And it's not about sex. It's about you. sometimes when you walk out that door, just because of the color of your skin, your life is in danger. They perceive you as a threat. They think you're you're going to do what they see on TV or what happened to them in sixth grade when they had an incident with a person of color. And, and you have to carry yourself accordingly. You can't put yourself in compromising positions. I've been profiled. I've gotten on an elevator in downtown Amarillo in a suit and tie and had old ladies clutch their bag and, and crawl to the back of it. Uh, I've had people walk up and Say hello to the guy to the left of me and shake hands and to the right. See me there, extend my hand, and walk right by me. Some people, that hurts. And if it's a hurt they can't get over, and they think the way to get back is to lash out. Uh, for me, the best remedy for, for that kind of blatant and overt racism is just to turn my back and walk away. Uh, even at my age, 52, I'll soon be 53 later this month, uh, it's always been this, 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 this silent war between law enforcement and the African-American community. We were raised this way. And, and it's a funny thing. If you're in a car with four or five African-Americans, especially of a certain age, and they see a cop car, whoever sees it first, they alert everybody around. Hey, there's, a, there's, there's a boys in blue. There's a guy. And they could be going to Sunday school. It could be the innocent thing. But we, we, we've been set up in this, this paradigm where we're enemies. And, and it started long ago uh, because some, especially in the Deep South, some of the atrocities that were laid on our people were by law enforcement, and law enforcement didn't protect our people. As we go down to 2020, uh, I ask people of color, of all color, uh, and I ask law enforcement the same thing. I ask all citizens the benefit of the doubt. Give that next person the benefit of the doubt they're not doing wrong, and they're not out to harm you. Uh, we won't get better until we do that. We won't become the great nation we can be until we do that. I know they say 
make America great. America is great, but like anything else, we can do a heck of a whole lot better, especially when it comes it comes to our relationships. David, what's what's one thing that you know? Let's let's think about my listeners, and maybe I have a lot of white listeners who are hearing you say these things and want to know how they can help. How can they be an ally? What can we do? What's one one thing that someone with that mindset can do to try to bring about some change in our city? The biggest thing we can do is identify and reach out and reach across. Uh, it, we all, at the end of the day, really all want the same thing. We want health. We want happiness. We want our children and our grandchildren to, to, to strive. We want equal opportunity. Uh, we want equal chances. Everybody wants that in this country. We want a safe home, a safe neighborhood, uh, food on the table, a, a decent job. We all want those things. And, and, and that's the thing. We have more in common than we don't. But we have elements in our society that continually push that one is different from the other. And it's not from one side or the other. It's both of every corner of the society. People are assuming they're out to get me or they're out to down me or they don't like me because I'm black or they don't like me because I'm white. Reach out. Reach out. Reach out to anyone, someone. Reach out. Make those connections, young and old, black and white, Hispanic. Uh, some white people never have to be in the position to interact with someone of their race, especially in this city. If you go to Dallas, Houston, that'd be nearly impossible. But in Amarillo, you could really isolate yourself to any race. You could isolate yourself and only deal with Hispanic or African-Americans or white. You could do that in this city. And I implore you not to do that. I implore you uh, to, to explore and to go see. Uh, right now, I've heard some rumors that, oh, North Heights is dangerous. And I've heard that rumor for years. When I got into the media business, a young reporter from a news station here from college asked me would I go over to North Heights with her because she heard it was such a bad, a bad place. And you get to a person there. If you're over there with love in your heart and kindness, they'll accept you. African-American people are the most forgiving and loving people in the world. Uh, and they'll take you in if you treat them decently. And that's what I ask people to do. Reach out. Make those contacts. Uh, get involved. If you don't understand something, you have a question, ask. It's not, it's not a crime to ask someone. But, but what we do is we build up what we hear in the media, uh, what we hear in our own uh, lives and, and our histories, and we build that wall of, well, I already know how they are. They're shady or they're this or they're that. And that does nothing to move this agenda forward that we've been fighting for for more than 400 years since the birth of this nation. Uh, we have to, yes, we have to, to recognize the evils of slavery and discrimination and segregation. We have to be honest about it, and we have to own up to our mistakes by everyone. Uh, we can't just let those things breeze by. I think that's one of the major reasons this incident is where the police keep blowing up and blowing up because we don't want to recognize what the police were to the African-American community years ago and what they are now. Uh, Amarillo's different. Uh, I don't think there's been an incident involving a death and an Amarillo police officer 20 years, 20 years. And I, I admire those kids are out there marching 
and want to do that. Uh, but but for Amarillo, there's other issues that we could be taking on, that we could have that energy and excitement about, uh, that we can put in our laps and still honor the memory of someone like George Floyd. We could clean up our communities. Uh, we could fight drug abuse. There's been more African-American boys killed by other African-American boys in this city than police officers since the day of time. That's an issue we really need to address. Why do kids need to kill each other in this society? Uh, and so th- that's what we need to do. That's the first step to building a stronger city and a stronger community here between the different races is being bold enough to step out of your comfort zone and meet and learn about someone different. David Lovejoy, thank you so much for being on the podcast. I appreciate it. Thank you, Jason. I appreciate you. Well, hello, sir. My name is Patrick Miller. I am an Amarillo ISD educator. I serve as the curriculum assessment specialist at Whittier Elementary School. I am the secretary on the executive board of the Amarillo College Board of Regents, and I am the second vice president of the Amarillo branch NAACP. Patrick, thank you so much for being on the show. I know you have a lot of demands on your time this week, um, but I appreciate your willingness to talk. I know that this has been um, a difficult few days, a difficult month um, for Amarillo's African-American community and, and for the national community. And I, I wondered if you could share with me just some of the things you've been feeling and that you've been thinking about over the past few days. Well, thank you for this opportunity to kind of express what's on my, on my heart and mind right now. Uh, it certainly has uh, been somewhat of a difficult you know, time uh, for us all. I think we, as a whole, have been disgusted uh, having seen that tragic video featuring the vicious police brutality which resulted in the death of Mr. George Floyd. But it has awakened so many things within us, whether it be anger or sadness, even despair. Uh, that, that loss of hope has generated a, a level of energy that I don't think any of us were prepared for previously. However, I think the way we harness it is going to be important. You know, expedience is the enemy of progress. So we have to ensure that any actions that we take now uh, certainly work towards a solution. And as a, you know, African-American man, as an American citizen, I feel like uh, I have a role to play in seeing to it that um, I am part of the solution, so I'm thankful to be in a position to win my voice and to use my platform for the greater good. Can you give me a, a few ideas of what you think about when you talk about the solution? I mean, obviously, systemic racism, institutional racism is an enormous problem and does not have an easy solution. So what when you use that language, when you think of you know, how can I bring about change? What kinds of solutions do you have in mind? Well, I, I like the way you phrased that question. And um, the it is plural. There's no panacea. It's not, you know, this one-size-fits-all uh, type of thing. It's going to require uh, things to change politically. Uh, voter participation, voter engagement, civic involvement at every level. It's going to require that we... Uh, put pressure on our you know, members who 
maybe in positions of authority in Austin or in Washington, D.C., who can propose pieces of legislation that could enact, uh, you know, changes through law, which would result in uh, opportunity zones or even, you know, a more uh, realistic approach to policing, uh, similar to what we have already in engaged in here in Amarillo, the community policing, the neighborhood police officers, or it could simply be uh, having these uh, review boards. It's not necessarily enough to have advisory boards. I serve on the Randall County Sheriff's Office Advisory Board, and uh, for whatever that that does, it, it still doesn't have the type of authority of a review board to review instances of police misconduct to ensure that those who are sworn to protect and serve fulfill that role and do not violate the trust of the public. Uh, but there, there are myriad approaches to this, and I certainly don't have all the answers, but those are just the few that come to mind when you ask that question. Patrick, you're an educator, and I, I wondered if you might indulge me asking a specific question that I think might be valuable for listeners to hear. You know, the, the rallying cry of the current moment and, and the last few years has been Black Lives Matter. And a lot of people... Um, for a variety of reasons, you know, they want to respond to that, that all lives matter. And I wonder if you could walk me through, you know, what you think in hearing those two phrases and what those two phrases mean to you. You see, those two phrases are, wow, I love that question. As a Christian, I certainly do know that Jesus Christ, my Lord and Savior, uh, died for us all. So from that perspective, I understand where people are coming from when they say all oh, lives matter. I don't think those people, I don't think most people who say that are are intending to harm a person of color when they articulate that. However, for that to be the immediate response when someone says Black Lives Matter, I think that is inappropriate because uh, as an African-American, when I you know, hear or see Black Lives Matter, I I don't think of that as being, you know, superior over anyone else's life. I just think it's just one of those uh, Black Lives Matter too. Like, value my life as much as you value the life of the unborn. Value my life as much as you value someone who is in an occupation of authority. Value my life as a human being. Cry when you see some harm done to a person that looks like me and do your best to stand beside me when we advocate for social justice. So black lives matter. And until people recognize that all lives really don't matter. One of the things as I've had these conversations that has become really clear to me is that as a white guy, I have a lot of blind spots when it comes to racism, when it comes to prejudice, um, even though I, I might you know do the best that I can to be aware of that in my own life, um, but I, I wonder if you might share with me like what are some of the things that I don't understand that I don't see on a daily basis that can help me understand the emotions and the uh, the pursuit of justice right now within the black community. It can. I mean, we all have our own biases, and well, not a single one of us can claim that we don't hurt, hold some type of 
you know, prejudiced or, you know, maybe have had a pejorative word that we, you know, expressed uh, in our ignorance once upon a time. Uh, but what I can tell you is that, you know, as I've matured, as I have grown into the man I am today, I am aware of the fact that, you know, if I acknowledge it, 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 it truly does hurt to know that I've walked into places and not felt welcomed. I have had conversations with people who, you know, you, I could tell were just uncomfortable just being there with me. I've walked past, you know, people who have clutched onto their purses a little tighter just because I was there. I've, you know, heard the locks on the doors as I've walked past a car just to get to my own. I, I've been called a nigger. Uh, you know, I've been I've been called an Uncle Tom. I I've received it from both sides everywhere. And you know, I'd be lying if I said that didn't hurt. But I don't harbor hate in my heart. That's not who I am. My faith doesn't allow me to do that. Uh, I just try to really live by the golden rule. And I remember that I'm supposed to love God and love people. It, it, there's no, you know criteria for that that that's just it you love god and you love people regardless of race sexual orientation background none of that matters but unfortunately uh far too often uh, i felt that many people have believed that that matters when it comes to talking about african americans all we want is equity equality is not enough we want equity uh, our country has never repented from its original sin. Uh, we've been at this since 1619 and even before. And, you know, you'll have people make foolish statements about slavery that was already occurring in Africa prior to uh, us being boarded upon uh, slave ships on the Middle Passage through the transatlantic slave trade, but that's just pure ignorance because they don't conceptualize what that was about. That was completely different compared to being brought uh, ashore to a continent and a developing nation that was unknown. Uh, and we built this country, but have yet to truly uh, be able to capitalize upon uh, our efforts. Yes, people can say, you know, we should be happy. We've had uh, celebrities, entertainers, athletes, uh, politicians. In my lifetime, we've had an African-American president. We should be satisfied with that. Well, we cannot be satisfied with that because the systemic racism is still ever-present. And until we truly deal with that in an effective manner, to where we root out all racial prejudice, we will not be satisfied. The Black Lives Matter movement is several years old at this point, and obviously we've had, you know, moment after moment of seeing African Americans killed, you know, at the hands of police, at the hands of white Americans. Is is there anything that feels different about this particular moment to you? It, it feels different in the way that we responded. Um, you know, before we may have had 
just a, a few people who were upset at the unfortunate killing, uh, the police brutality that was on camera. Uh, now, I think we've reached that point where it's almost similar to the, the shock that was there on, on Bloody Sunday uh, on, that, on that bridge in Selma, Alabama, all those years ago, where you have awakened the consciousness of all people around the nation and even the world. And now we have this opportunity to unite and to uh, seek to change the world as it is, because we are not going to accept the inequities, the intolerance, or the bigotry anymore. And, the, you know, we need the good police officers, like many of whom serve us on Emerald Police Department, uh, to, to stand with us. We need all pastors, regardless of background, regardless of denomination, to stand with us and fight as champions for justice. We need all people, regardless of political ideology, to say enough is enough. United we stand. And until that happens, we're going to continue to have anger and despair. Patrick Miller, thank you so much for being on the podcast. I appreciate it. It's my privilege. I appreciate you, brother. Keep doing the good work you're doing. God bless you. And that concludes the episode. I want to say thanks to Jasmine Taylor, David Lovejoy, Joseph Peterson, Leah Warren, Bowden Jones, and Patrick Miller for sharing their experiences. This Saturday, June 6th at 11 a.m., the NAACP is hosting a peaceful community rally at Bones Hooks Park. It's located at Northwest 20th Street and North Hughes. Masks are encouraged. I will be there, and many of today's guests will be there. I'd love to see you there, too. This has been episode 148. My name is Jason Boyette. Be kind to each other. Let justice roll on like a river. <laughs>